0: When it comes to book bans, we hear a lot from adults. But what do kids think about the books that adults don't want them to read? Education reporter Hannah Natanson traveled to Leander, Texas, for a meeting of the Banned Book Club at Vandegrift High School. It's a group dedicated to reading the books that their school district has banned.
1: I came in on a hot Wednesday afternoon to listen to them discuss a novel by I.W. Gregorio called None of the Above, which is about a high school student who is intersex. That's when
0: a person is born with a combination of male and female sex characteristics, reproductive anatomy that doesn't fit into the box of either male or female.
1: So I came in and... The girls were gathered at a table. They were munching on snacks. They were talking about TikTok dances. And then the meeting starts. All right. <laughs> Welcome to
2: meeting 14. Good job, everybody, and thank you for coming at 6 in the evening. <laughs>
1: they started off by discussing the book. Um, And then they wound up making a statement at the end of the meeting, which they always do, explaining why it had been banned and whether they agreed with that. And they did not agree with that. They have not once agreed with that. I think uh, what drove me to report the story and what stuck out to me the most about it is the sense that children, students, are having a chance to respond to this push for banning books, which is being led mostly by adults and what I wanted to know when I was reporting this story is how do students feel about it? And what I found and what will stick with me is that the students who I spent time with really care about their access to books and see it as key to their access to education and their ability to become people in the world who care about other people and know about other people, all kinds of other people. Um, so that, that will stick with me, the fact that they're so eager to learn and to know. And then what, what will also stick with me is how scared they are that the adults will deprive them of that ability.
0: There were book bans all over the country this year, and with them came lots of angry debates between parents and school board members, but kids have been fighting for a say too.
3: And I mean, it's, it's really absolutely terrifying that people are taking away books in the first place. Not just this one specifically, but you learn your life lessons are learned through books and then through personal life lessons. And the fact that people are taking away these books that have people's life lessons so we can learn from them is absolutely enraging and very annoying, and it gets me very frustrated.
0: From the newsroom of The Washington Post, this is Post Reports. I'm Elahey Izadi, in for Martine Powers. It's Thursday, June 9th. Today, how one group of students is fighting back against book bans. Plus, later in the show, we talk about how, for one writer, the NBA's Golden State Warriors have become America's team.
1: So, nationwide, America is seeing an unprecedented rise in the number of book challenges. And in response, students are really banding together to fight them. So... In Missouri, there's two students who have filed a lawsuit uh, against their school district for removing eight books, including Toni Morrison's The Bluest Eye from school libraries. In New York, there's a group of teens affiliated with the Brooklyn Public Library who are meeting weekly on Zoom and trying to figure out ways that they can help other students everywhere resist book censorship. And in Pennsylvania, in York County, there was a group of students who held daily protests outside their high school in September. We're
2: going to be here tomorrow at the same time, the same place. Call your friends, try to get them to join. And just remember that we are all in this together. You are not alone. Our voice needs to be heard. This ban needs to be reversed.
1: Until uh, administrators reversed their decision to ban hundreds of books, films, and articles, the vast majority of which were by Black and Latino authors.
0: What inspired these students to act? Why do they think resisting these book bans is necessary?
1: They both love books. And so just their immediate response in some sense was, you're banning books? I love to read books. Okay, I'm going to read these books. And I think the reason why they feel like this is necessary is because, again, book banning has reached the highest level it's been since the American Library Association began tracking that issue decades ago. Pan-America Produce a report very recently that found that more than 1,500 books have been removed from libraries or classrooms in the past nine months. Pen America also found, which is something I had found in my reporting for A Different Story, that a lot of books are disappearing secretly. So Mm. administrators are really scared of controversy. And so they're just yanking these books before, you know, Parents can start complaining about them. And for a different story, I went to Pennsylvania, spent time with a librarian there who was telling me about what it was like to have that happen in her district. That had happened about two dozen times. And so I think kids are seeing this and they're seeing what they're not seeing, if that makes sense. They're seeing that books are just disappearing, being taken away by adults. And they want to make clear that they have a voice and they have a stake in this and they'd like to be listened to. And they're tired of the adults acting what to them seems unilaterally. Wow. So it's not even just that there are adults
0: complaining about specific books and they're being removed, but there are administrators and librarians and others who are expecting complaints and want to avoid that altogether and are yanking it with people not really knowing that that's happening.
1: Absolutely. And I, it's even more insidious than that. I mean, in some cases, you know, I spoke to librarians for my other story and it's not even that they're removing the books because librarians generally, as a class, tend to hate removing books. But they're not displaying books. They're not assigning certain books. Mm. They're not recommending certain books to kids. So books are just kind of disappearing. And, and students, a large percentage of students, find that terrifying. Is there a pretty
0: uh, universal picture of the people who are removing these books and calling for books to be removed? Is, is it pretty much the same all over the country? And, and who are they?
1: So I want to be careful on that one.
4: Mm-hmm.
1: I think there is a, you know, a viewpoint that, and it's not totally incorrect, that a lot of this is happening from conservative white Christian parents. And that is a, a definite percentage of the people who are requesting book removals. But book removals have also come from very progressive left leaning districts um, that have yanked books like To Kill a Mockingbird because students are deeming them racially insensitive or others are deeming them racially insensitive. And it's impossible to know exactly who is filing book removal requests everywhere because there are literally so many pouring in. Anyone who lives in a school district area or has a child who goes to that school district is allowed to file a book ban request per the vast majority of policies all across the country. And they don't you know, We don't know about them as reporters unless the school district makes a decision and announces that decision. So I can't tell you substantively everyone who it's coming from, but it's coming from a lot of places right now. Mm-hmm.
0: And what is the content that they are finding so objectionable?
1: So a lot of the books that are getting challenged are by or about Black or LGBTQ people. They address Themes and issues of race, racism, gender identity, sexuality, those make up the majority of the books that are getting challenged.
0: And how do the districts and the people calling for these book bans respond to the criticism they're getting from kids, from people who think this isn't the right approach?
1: So the school system um, told me when I asked them about this issue, sort of the bare facts that there were uh, 11 books remaining unavailable for use in classroom libraries um, or book clubs, but physical copies of nine of the 11 can be found in high school campus libraries. So pretty bare bones response. And I think the kids would say that they don't actually feel like they've gotten much of a response from any of the other adults involved here. So I would say there's not actually been too much of a distinct engagement.
0: So Hannah, tell me more about this banned book club you visited in Leander. What happened there that got them so fired up and and active in deciding to start a book club at their school?
1: So their school district, the Leander Independent School District, uh, removed 11 books from classroom instruction in response to parent and resident complaints. And so the girls, again, it's these two girls, Ella Scott and Alyssa Hoy. Uh, how long have you guys been friends? Slash how did you become friends?
2: A long time. <laughs> A long time. Um, I think I moved here in second grade. I lived next door. So we started becoming friends Yeah, the summer before second grade.
1: They both love books. And so Alyssa has always loved books. But Ella really got into reading during the pandemic. When there wasn't all that much to do apart from reading.
2: I think what I enjoy about it is the part where I get to just learn about new things that I wouldn't have known before. I mean, especially with the band books, there's so many new perspectives and stories that you're exposed to. But um, even just for like a silly little fiction book, like I, it's just fun to see things that you wouldn't know from where you stand in life.
1: Alyssa's mother is a teacher, and she alerted the two girls to this book ban because she was paying close attention to it and they immediately knew they had to do something so they met in the driveway right between their houses because that was a that became a classic meeting spot during the pandemic and they started plotting their response and so first things first you know they're very organized uh, teens so they decided they had to figure out what was going on so they spent a lot of time researching who's doing this why are these books being gone and the biggest question they had was have students been able to give any input? And they realized looking at, you know, social media and news coverage, no, really, students aren't being allowed to weigh in here. Do you remember how
2: you guys felt like initially when she showed you the list and you guys started talking about it? I think just surprised really, because like I said, we didn't know this was happening. It was just going over our heads as students. Like it's not something that we were invited to discuss. And just not being aware of what was happening in our classrooms really kind of set us back because we're like, this is, you know, a big change in our course material. They're taking this away from us and we weren't even informed.
1: And so they decided they had to end that. That wasn't right. And so, again, they love reading and the the natural form they figured for them to be able to weigh in on the conversation and fulfill their curiosity about these books that were being banned uh, was to form a banned book club. And when
0: they started the club, did they face any resistance um, from their school? I mean, their club is dedicated to reading books that were specifically banned by the district.
1: I had that question too, and they told me no. Hmm. They have been allowed to meet in the school library. They were allowed to form the club once they met the 10-member threshold, and they haven't had any problems. They aren't able to get The books they want to read from the school, though, because of the ban. So they have had to get creative. And what they've done is post an Amazon wish list of the books they need to read. And people have read about their efforts online uh, and rapidly filled that list up.
2: I think it was the one before this one. In the dream house? Yes. I think it was in the dream house. We set up the wish list like right before we left for school at like four. And then I checked it the next morning at 6 in the morning, and it was it was like everyone had bought one already.
1: So they've had no problem getting the books because of the kindness of online strangers. So Hannah, if I were to visit their book club, what
0: is the agenda? Like, how would it go down?
1: Yeah. So you would sit there. Sometimes they get housekeeping items done at the start of the meeting, and they have to fill out Google Forms for various reasons. Uh, the two co-presidents will go through sort of the schedule for the next couple of meetings, what they'll be doing coming up, any other, okay. you know, basic housekeeping okay. items.
2: Um. Well, actually, okay, we do have two meetings, and we're gonna invite the board members to those meetings. <gasps> okay. <No problem.
3: laughs>
2: <laughs> yeah. So. um Yeah, we're You're ready know. for that. A little convo with them, just about like what we've done this year. You know, like what we've learned. Um, are they gonna kick us out of the school?
1: Then they go to the discussion questions, and it's, it's you, you know, that will be the majority of the meeting, and, and one member in particular reads off the questions.
2: Throughout this novel, Christian struggles to accept her identity outside of the gender binary. How did Christian's self-acceptance change throughout the novel as she became more familiar with her diagnosis?
1: And then... The girls all—pretty much all of them were talking. There wasn't really super quiet members. The girls will weigh in on, you know, the different issues they're discussing. Usually it has to do with analyzing what the book was about, sharing how it affected them, and then especially uh, analyzing why it was banned and do they agree with that. Um, And then at the end of the meeting, they come up with a statement summarizing, you know, what the book is, what it's about, why it was banned, what they feel about the book— what they learned from it, and then they post it to an Instagram account, uh, the VHS Band Book Club Instagram account. Hannah, the book that they
0: read when you were there, None of the Above, what did they get from reading that book?
1: A lot of them spent a good portion of the meeting talking about how interesting and informative it was in terms of learning about that condition, which some of them had not known about before.
3: This book taught me what this condition was because when I read Intersex, I was like, I do not know it. I had to look it up because I've never heard the term before,
1: like ever. A lot of their conversation was just focused on how they can't understand why adults think it's a good idea to deprive students of information at school, the place they're supposed to go to learn about the world. And this one quote really stuck in my head. Um, a student said that, It seems like the adult, I'm going to paraphrase that, but she said that it seems like the adults really want to create a narrow picture of what people should look like in the world. And she can't understand why. And so she was grateful that the book that she'd read, None of the Above, had broadened her conception of what it means to be a human uh, in the world.
3: I mean, and it's like so funny because the struggles within the story is literally like why we need books like this in the classroom. It's these uneducated people that are causing the negative environment and like the harsh conditions and experience for um, oh, the, oh my gosh, I just blanked on her name, no uh, Kristen. Um, and so it's like, imagine if they had a book like this in their classroom and they could have read that that's and they could have been educated and they could, yeah. It's <laughs> like, it, like that's just like, all I want to like say, on that is just, I think that's like, we just talking about this stuff from the like last question we just did, it's like so much of that is like, yeah, that's why we need the book. It's like these experiences, these people like not wanting to like learn about themselves or learn about other people is like we, why we need this.
0: You know, in addition to their own experience of reading these books and broadening their horizons and learning more about the world, what is the goal of having this club? Is it to get as many people in as possible and read as many of these books as possible? Is it to just simply draw attention to this issue? Is it to get these particular books back into their
1: library? So they've said that the eventual goal is to make the club redundant, right? To render it no longer necessary. So they'd obviously like to see these books come back. Barring that, which may not happen, it's not clear, but it doesn't seem super likely right now, They just want to insert a student voice into a conversation that they feel has been dominated by adults. And, you know, that's one of the reasons they were willing to let me come and hang out, why they welcome media coverage. They welcome any kind of attention. They publish their statements on each book on Instagram. They want people to hear what the students uh, themselves, who have the most at stake in this debate, one can definitely argue, they want to hear people to hear what the students themselves feel about these issues. Um, and I will say that there are review committees in their school district that are working through some of these texts right now and and considering others and librarians who are on these review committees have reached out to the students several times and asked for their statements as a piece of evidence to consider during the review process.
2: We've had our librarians um, kind of read our statement and I think that's helped persuade some people and kind of made them realize like, oh, These, you know, high schoolers are mature enough to handle this content and are able to understand it fully. So
1: they are literally able to give student input uh, to determine the fate of, of other books. Yeah, that's so fascinating because
0: as an adult, I do feel like most of the voices I hear about book banning are adult voices. I'm wondering, what have you learned from speaking to the students who are the ones directly impacted by these bans. You know, they know that they're the ones who have the most at stake. What is it they want adults to know?
1: They want adults to know, first of all, that they want to know everything they can about the world. And they resent people who are taking away their access to information and stripping them of the ability to decide what is compelling and interesting to learn about. They also want adults to know that they're less fixated on the sex stuff than maybe it seems like the adults are. You know, some of the discussion that I listened to in that in that book club meeting was there was just one sex scene. Why is this a big deal? That's not even what I was focused on in the book. I, I was focused on learning, not this sex stuff. And also, as a side note, they noted that if they wanted to learn about sex stuff or read about sex scenes, the Internet is right there. Hmm. So they want adults to recognize that, too. Like, they want adults to grow up a little bit. <laughs> I, you could
0: put it that way. Yep. <laughs> Have resistance efforts like the one
1: in Leander made progress elsewhere? So the most notable example of student protests seemingly directly influencing a school district's decision came in the Pennsylvania case. And I spoke to one of the students who led those demonstrations there, Christina Ellis, and she said between 50 to 80 students protested every morning outside their school, 715 to about 745 AM in September, until the school district reversed its ban of hundreds of, of texts.
4: Seventy plus students and even staff at the high school stood outside with signs like Black Lives Matter and Diversity Belongs in Education. We stood in solidarity until our presence was known, and soon enough our presence was recognized.
1: So Christina actually testified about that success during a House Oversight Committee hearing in April.
4: The reason why I stood against my my school district's book ban was because I didn't want future African-American kids to go through some of the things I went through growing up because of the lack of cultural sensitivity in my schooling experience. I didn't want minority students in general feeling like their culture didn't matter because in school there was little to no representation for them.
1: Book bans do not always last. They they sometimes get overturned or books get challenged and then schools go through months long review processes and return them to shelves. And school districts across the country are being burdened with this unprecedented amount of requests to review books. A lot of those are still in the works, so we don't know. Um, and like I said, in a lot of other cases, books are just disappearing that because administrators are pulling them and we don't even know about it right now. So it's hard to say, you know, how many books are getting put back. But I will say, in direct response to students, there's only really one example I can think of so far, the Pennsylvania example, where it really seemed the decision to return the books seemed to directly spring from student activism. Mm.
0: You know, I'm thinking of these high schoolers who are reading books that their district bans, that the district did not want them to read. And I wonder how that's changed their view of the book-banning movement. You know, like, after they've read this banned book, how do they view that movement? And how do they see the world around them?
1: I think they see the world around them as both more complete and less complete. So they see it as more complete because... They've learned something new.
2: I think these books just break a boundary that kind of exists in our society where we don't talk about these things. We kind of push them aside and we don't, you know, address them. And these books kind of break that boundary and give us an excuse to learn about them. I think I'm more empathetic towards others in kind of what they're going through.
1: And so... The students who've been devoting themselves to reading these banned books have come away with a larger comprehension of the world and the different kinds of people who can inhabit it. So in that sense, their world is more complete, but it's also less complete because they know that other students in their district aren't reading these books because they've been banned from classroom instruction. And other students across the country are not encountering these books because adults are pulling them away. So they have a much more real sense of the fact that their freedom to read is in danger and they have a deeper understanding of what that actually means, like the fact that a book disappearing means that a whole world of experiences is being yanked away from them without their consent. I'm
3: creating a very small image of what people in the world are supposed to look like when they take away books like these. We, like, like, these people exist and they live lives, but we can't know if what their life is like whenever you take away their stories.
0: Mm-hmm. So
3: it's like, it's just, yeah, it's so like, narrow. And I, yeah.
0: Hannah Natanson covers K-12 education for The Post. Renny Svarnofsky produced this story. After the break, Jason Rezayan, a columnist for The Post, makes the case that the Golden State Warriors are America's basketball team.
4: We'll be right back.
0: A few weeks ago, after the horrific shooting at an elementary school in Uvalde, Texas, you may have heard this moment that went viral.
5: I'm tired. I'm, I'm so tired of getting up here and offering condolences to, to the devastated families that are out there. I'm so tired of the—excuse me. I'm sorry. I'm tired of the moments of silence. Enough.
0: The man speaking is Steve Kerr. He's not a politician and he's not a pundit. He's a basketball coach, the coach of San Francisco's Golden State Warriors a team that's now three games away from winning this year's NBA Finals. And for Post columnist Jason Rezayan, hearing Steve Kerr's conviction about gun violence reminded him of how the Golden State Warriors have long represented more than just basketball.
4: The Golden State Warriors won their first NBA championship in 1975, the year before I was born. It's a fitting climax, I think, for one of the most unique teams in pro basketball history. They didn't win one again until 2015, a year I spent entirely as a hostage in an Iranian prison. After devotedly following a team that was abysmal for most of my life, I felt the irony of being locked up when they finally reached the promised land.
0: Jason Rezaian is a global opinions writer here at The Post. Before that, he was our correspondent in Tehran, where he was imprisoned for 544 days by Iranian authorities on false charges. But even throughout that whole ordeal, he still obsessively kept up with his favorite team.
5: Uh, Let's face it, the Warriors are in the midst of a pretty special two-year run.
4: Sporadically, I would receive news from the outside world, so I knew the Warriors began the following season by winning an incredible 24 consecutive games. Surprisingly, even Iran's state television was carrying highlights of this epic run. When I was finally released in January 2016, one of the first things I wanted to do was watch Warriors basketball. In the years since, the joy and excitement of going to games or watching them late into the night have been an important part of my recovery. And I'm not alone in that. Last month, Warriors head coach Steve Kerr used a pregame news conference to make an impassioned challenge to the Senate to enact gun control laws.
0: Jason recently spoke with Steve Kerr whose own father was a victim of gun violence in the 80s.
4: You're clearly not numb to this problem. We talk about this in Mm -hmm. in the media all the time. Mm
5: -hmm. Um, It's part of this, you know,
4: honoring your dad.
5: I knew we were going to go out and have a moment of silence. um, And it was, I'm guessing, since I became coach in 2014, I'm guessing the 15th a moment of silence uh, before a game for a mass shooting, for the victims of the mass shooters. And, um, and it's maddening, um, honestly, because I know that uh, when my dad was killed, um, you know, in, through gun violence, um, if someone had a, a moment of silence, I would have appreciated it, but it wouldn't have done much.
4: For me, a lifelong Golden State Warriors fan, Kerr's outspoken news conference was something to feel proud of. And instead of shying away from a highly charged issue, the Warriors organization singled its support by amplifying Kerr's words across social media. That decision was admittedly not a huge risk, since most Americans favor background checks to purchase guns. But it demonstrated a commitment to values something that sports leagues, including the National Basketball Association, have been criticized for not always upholding.
5: I think that's fair to say. I mean, I, you know, um, not everybody's going to agree with our positions on things, but um, the Bay Area has a long history of um, activism, social activism. Um, I think there's a lot of pride that's taken here in um, in speaking and marching and uh, being lockstep with our, our brothers and sisters in the community, trying to create a better world. Uh,
4: there, there's a- the conviction to take on potentially divisive issues is part of the culture Kerr has helped cultivate in the team. When the Warriors won the NBA title in 2018, instead of visiting President Donald Trump at the White House, as is customary for championship teams... They went to the National Museum of African American History and Culture with kids from then Warriors player Kevin Durant's hometown.
3: Most importantly, seeing you guys be able to learn and see a smile on your face mean more to us than anything, than any White House visit can ever mean, than anything else. So we want to thank you guys for the opportunity.
4: The National Football League's Dallas Cowboys have long been unofficially dubbed America's team. But with the way they've used their platforms to make America better while also achieving historic success. The Golden State Warriors are proving that title now belongs to them.
0: Jason Rezayan is a Global Opinions columnist for The Post. He spoke with Golden State Warriors coach Steve Kerr. This story was produced by Arjun Singh. It was adapted from an audio article produced by Julie Deppenbrock. That's it for Post Reports. Thanks for listening. Today's show was mixed by Sean Carter. It was edited by Rena Flores and Maggie Penman. I'm Elahe Izadi. We'll be back tomorrow with more stories from The Washington Post.